The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. 35 plus years ago, none of us would have imagined the things that have taken place at TBC. From our humble beginnings in a uh, rented facility in downtown Temple, where 40 or 50 others gathered each week, to the nearly 3,000 men and women, boys and girls that worship weekly, we say, to him be the glory, great things he's done. Over the years, we've been privileged to see literally hundreds of people come to faith in Christ. But we've baptized over a thousand folks in the time that we've been here. And what we see is many more who become faithful followers, disciples of Jesus, and that's what excites us way more than any numbers we can talk about. It truly is His amazing grace that allows us to do what we're doing. The spiritual impact that has been made in our community, been made in your life, been made in my life, in my family's life, and for that we're eternally grateful. We've seen broken hearts mended. We've seen broken marriages restored. We've seen broken promises come back. We have seen prodigals become pursuers of Christ. And sadly, we've seen pursuers of Christ become prodigals. By God's grace, we've seen a church grow and we've seen a community impacted and we've seen a world touched by this group of believers in Central Texas. We're blessed beyond belief. God has worked through you to accomplish his purposes but we're not done yet. We're not done yet. That's gonna be the theme of the new building project that we have, remodeling existing building and upgrading all the space that we have here. We've built the Creekside building, we've recently moved into it and we're so grateful for that, God's provision through you. We now have plenty of adult space for meeting. We have a chapel, we have a new expanded kitchen, we have a college room where college students now meet. We have new administrative space and. We vacated the old area so that we could come in and upgrade and remodel and redesign because we're not done yet. We're not done. Now we're looking ahead to the future generation. Now we're looking ahead to the needs of our kids. We've been praying for future generations. We've been praying for generational impact. And by God's grace, he has brought hundreds of kids to Temple Bible Church, hundreds of children each week. On a given Sunday, there are four to 500 kids just from nursery through fourth grade only. And now what we'd like to do is embark on a project where we remodel and upgrade existing facilities. His Kids is a special needs ministry we have that's expanding. The lobby that we have is pretty obsolete over time and needs to be redone. And so by God's grace and through your generosity, our prayer is that after the start of the first of the year, that we'll have completed designs of all this and hopefully in late spring begin reconstruction. Over the years, we've worshiped together. We've celebrated together. We've impacted a world together but we're not done yet. I am convinced the best years lie ahead of us. So you might ask what you can do. Let me suggest three things. First of all, give glory to God. When we talk about what God's done in the past, make sure that he receives glory for what's happened and also what is happening and what will happen here. We don't want to touch his glory, we want to honor him. So as you hear in our community, the blessings of TBC, would you deflect the glory to him? Secondly, you can pray. Give him the glory, but secondly, pray. Pray for decisions that yet to be made as we finalize our design, uh, decisions about who the contract will be on this next job, uh, decisions that still need to be made regarding various things. So would you pray about those things? And then would you pray for his provision through you? Thirdly, you can give. You've been so generous in the past and we say thank you. We say thank you for all that you've done. Would you prayerfully consider giving towards this need this December. 
for some a small amount is much and for some of us a substantial amount is little. We're going to ask you to prayerfully engage with the Savior about how you might provide for this need, for this desire to take place within a few short months. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the scriptures say this, and I'll read. It says, let each of you do as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, but willingly, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, for God loves a cheerful giver. So would you prayerfully consider how to participate in this as a family, individually, this December? By God's grace, and by His grace alone, we're not done yet. We have been blessed as a body, and uh, God continues to bring families to us, and our desire is to be faithful there and to honor Him. We now have a state-of-the-art adult facility. Our prayers do the same thing for our kids in this building as we remodel. So uh, by His grace and through your generosity, we appreciate that, and we'll continue to be good stewards of all He's given us as we have over the years. So on behalf of the leadership team here, thanks, and we pray that indeed God will continue to do a work that he's already begun in our midst. Amen? Amen. So this morning, you should have in your hands when you came in an outline. That outline has numerous verses on it, and we're not going to be in one text as we typically do on a Sunday at TBC. Uh, we're going to begin actually in Isaiah chapter, not even Isaiah chapter 9. You can see where we'll be. We're going to start in Romans, actually, and be in different places. And as we talk about the topic of peace, we're doing Advent. Last week, we talked about hope. This week, peace. Next week, I'll preach on joy. And then on Christmas Day, we'll finish with love. Go to our website, as I said before, and find Find uh, the readings associated with each of these. Peace. John Lennon sang and wrote a song many years ago called Imagine. You know that song? I was going to sing it, but I wanted you to stay, so we're not going to do that. Uh, but hear the words. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there are no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. No religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. That's what Lynn wrote about. I laugh when I read the next section. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. That's a beetle worth over a billion dollars, right? No possessions. So I guess he can do it. No need for greed or hunger or brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Don't you love those? Don't you, I, I love the music. And then when I started reading the lyrics, I thought, really? That's what that song's about? I mean, it's about a desire to have peace. No countries, no greed, no hunger, no possessions. Sounds like communism in some ways. Uh, no religion too. No heaven or hell. Nothing to live or die for. Everything's right here, right now. We can have nirvana and peace. Imagine that. That's what Lennon was saying. And we all bought into it. Our world bought into it. One of the most sold and songs that's ever been recorded in the history of music. It's pretty amazing. Peace seems elusive. It seems elusive to him. It seems elusive to us. If you look in the world that we live in, we have nations at war. We have terrorism on streets around the globe, as James shared with us, living in France. And we not only have nations at war, terrorism on the globe, we have battles in our streets. I, I looked up murders in Chicago this year. At the end of November, there were over 650 homicides in Chicago alone, the streets of our, of our country. That's over two murders per day in Chicago. 
And not only these external things, there's the internal, the, the lack of peace in relationships. Anybody a little stressed over Christmas right now? Just a little stressed over Christmas? Having struggled with peace? I mean, and some of that struggle is because we have to be with family at this time of year. Who made that rule up? And people are stressed. I mean, perfect parties, perfect plans, busyness, and, and then we're going to all get together for one happy Norman Rockwellian experience that we are scared to death to experience. And then there's internal peace. I mean, some of us, our innards are like a washing machine going over and over the agitation cycle, and we have no peace. In fact, in Jeremiah twice it says, you cry out, peace, peace, but there is no peace. In our world, there are nations that don't experience peace, cultures that have no peace, streets that have no peace, relationships that have no peace, and many of us have no peace. ESPN the magazine interviewed Michael Jordan when he turned 50 years old a few years ago. When they interviewed him, he went on and on about his life and, uh, and what he does with his time now. But in a rather pointed statement at the end of the interview, this is what he says. He kind of looks whimsically off into space and he says, how can I find peace away from the game of basketball? I looked it up. Jordan is worth $1.2 billion. He's the wealthiest athlete uh, in, in history. And people would say, he's living the dream, man. He's living the dream. Has his own corporate plane, can go where he wants, plays golf half the year at different resorts around the world, living the dream. And his question at the end of the interview is, where can I find peace? If we were to be honest today, a lot of us are struggling in the same way. We want peace, but we lack peace. We'd love to see world peace. We'd love to see peace between nations. We'd love to see terrorism ended. We would love to see peace on our streets. We'd love to have internal peace. We'd love to have peace with others. But peace is elusive. It is a dream, as Lennon said. But the scriptures say a lot about peace. Scriptures teach a lot about peace. And it's interesting that the Christmas story itself says a lot about peace and includes the word peace. And so the first thing I want to remind you of and show you is that our God is a God of peace. Unlike the gods of other religions, our God is a God of peace. In fact, the scriptures talk about it in several places. In Romans chapter 16, it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And we move on to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. He is the God of peace. We look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and it says, may God himself, the God of peace. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, now may the God of peace. If there's anything we see from all of these verses and we see it over and over is that our God is a God of peace. It's part of his nature, part of his character, one of his attributes. Our God is a God of peace. He is a God who desired to bring peace into the world. He's a God who designed peace in the world before the fall. He is a God of peace. In a world that's confused and filled with chaos and cultures that are confused and filled with chaos and in and, and nations where killings take place on the streets over and over again in places like James just showed us about throughout the Middle East, but also here in our own land, what we see is there's a lack of peace, a desire for peace, but a lack of peace. And yet we see that our God is a God of peace. And I'll submit to you, when nations begin to look for solutions to chaos and cultures look to solutions for confusion and individuals look for lives that are filled with pain to come to an end, they will not find peace apart from the God of peace. It's only through him, the God of peace, that true peace comes. 
And so our God is a God of peace, and he's a God of peace who sent his son into this world as a Messiah of peace. He sent him as one to bring peace into our world. So our Father is a God of peace, but our Messiah came as a Messiah of peace. And you say, where do you get that from? Well, I begin in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, a very familiar Christmas passage. We just sing a song from it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so when we look at that scenario, we look at that particular verse, it says that he will bring a government into the world. He shall shoulder a government as the prince of peace. And we look in our world and say, he is a God of peace and he is the prince of peace. Where's the peace? Where is it? I mean, we live in a world surrounded by a culture filled with individuals who lack peace. And we cry out, peace, peace. But as Jeremiah says, there is no peace. And so when he came, we look here, this is not about us individually. I don't want you to think about, I'm to have peace. We're going to talk about that in a second. But when Messiah came into the world, he came to establish peace among men. In fact, it says the next verse in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so when Messiah was to come, Isaiah's prophecy says his government shall come. He'll reign on David's throne. We're talking about reigning, ruling kingdoms and nations. He's saying the Messiah is coming to bring peace to our land. So what happened? He came 2,000 years ago. What happened? Where's the peace? Well, as you are well aware, two things happened. First of all, God created a world that was filled with peace. But all of a sudden, the fall came. And things are not as they ought to be. Things are not as they ought to be. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, then Jesus came and the gospel came, and now Jesus is in the process of making things as they ought to be. So when the fall came, things were not as they ought to be. Redemption comes, Jesus comes, and he's in the process of restoring things as they ought to be. Which brings us to the Hebrew word for peace. The Hebrew word for peace, many of you know what that word, what's the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. Shalom. If you were to come with Bev and I to Israel on one of the trips that we lead, you'd have the privilege of uh, hearing a lot of people talking in Hebrew. And one of the things you'll hear there is shalom, shalom. Everybody's shaloming everybody. What does that mean? I mean, to us, peace means the absence of war, the absence of crime, the absence of violence. That's what it means to us. But the Hebrew word is much fuller than that. The Hebrew word is much richer than that. The Hebrew word is an interesting word because it not only means the absence of something, it means the presence of something. It not only means the absence of war, the absence of crime, the absence of violence, it also means the presence of harmony. It means the presence of contentment. It means, the, the, it means harmony in relationship. It means harmony with God. And so when we would say shalom, we're saying everything is as it ought to be. That's what the word shalom means peace, there's harmony, there's contentment. Everything is as it ought to be. But the problem is right now, things are not as they ought to be. 
because of the fall and because of my sin and because of your sin, we've been separated from God and God's in the process of restoring those things. That's part of the gospel message. But one day, Christ will return. Even the earth groans, it says in Romans 8, for that time of redemption. And one day, we know from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, it says, He will judge between the nations. They will settle disputes for peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. There will come a day when there is shalom on our earth, where nation will not fight nation, brother will not fight brother, sister will not fight sister, parents will not fight kids, spouses will not fight one another, because we will have shalom. We will have peace with one another. And therefore, we will take spears and go fishing with those things. And we will have a time of shalom on earth when things are as they ought to be. The problem is right now, not everything is as it ought to be. And so God is in the process of restoring that through Jesus. And ultimately, Jesus will make all things right as they ought to be. And that will be shalom on earth. When we read glory to God in the highest peace on earth, shalom on earth, we're talking about everything being as they ought to be. So when Jesus comes to our planet, the angels are speaking to shepherds. They're praising God. As they praise God, they say glory to God in the highest on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So God is a God of peace who sent the Messiah into our world to bring peace. Boat on peace. If anybody wanted peace, it would be the Jewish people in the first century. They wanted peace because they were under Roman rule. The Romans had conquered them. The Romans lived there. The Romans dominated them. They were enslaved to the Romans in their own land, so to speak. And so what they wanted was a Messiah who would bring an end to the struggles and chaos and confusion they had and bring peace, bring shalom to their land. Now, the way two nations settle squabbles is war. And so they were looking for Messiah who would be a military leader who would throw off the yoke of Roman slavery so they could have shalom in their own land. But the problem is Jesus showed up with a different game plan. See, they were looking for this military ruler who would come with might, but Jesus came not to restore this relationship among the nations initially, but he came to restore a relationship between man and God. that's the peace we read about. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes about this. He says, therefore, since we have been justified, we just studied that word justified in Galatians. It means we're declared innocent. Since we've been declared innocent through faith, we have peace with God. You see, we were at war with God. The Messiah comes to bring peace on earth. And the primary peace he brings is peace between man and God. He brings peace peace in this direction vertically. And then as a result of that, we can have horizontal peace. As a result of peace with God, that's the first and foremost peace that any of us can have. You see, when nations are shrouded in confusion and chaos and individuals and cultures, the only place to find peace is going to be in a savior. And so Jesus comes in the world to bring peace, peace with God. In fact, if we go on, we see in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. How do we find peace? We find peace through the blood of Christ. Then we have eternal peace. Eternal peace. We are right with God. Things with God are as they ought to be. But there's a problem. 
We live in a fallen world. And so things with God are as they ought to be, but we're surrounded by a world filled with sin and chaos and confusion. So we are as we ought to be with God, but the world around us is not as it ought to be yet. And so what we see is he comes to offer peace, peace with God. Maybe you didn't know you were at odds with God. You are. Romans chapter 3 says, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Henry David Thoreau, the great writer, was asked by his aunt when he was dying, David, have you made peace with God? Thoreau's answer to his aunt was, I didn't know God and I were at odds. We all are. Every one of us. We're all sinners. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. If you don't think you're a sinner, give me five minutes with your spouse and we'll... Actually, just give me two minutes with your spouse and we'll take care of that, Okay. Every one of us, except my precious little granddaughter. No, she is too. All of us. Every single one of us. So Christ came to bring peace among men. Our culture will be filled with chaos and confusion. Our nations will be filled with war. These things are going to happen until everything is, is as it ought to be. But until things as they are ought to be, we will have struggles on this planet and we will have struggles in this life as well. But here's the great news. In the gospel, we discover we are far worse off than we ever thought and far more loved than we ever dreamed. Amen? I mean, we're worse off than we ever thought. There's nothing we can do for salvation, but he loved us so much. God so loved the world. He sent his only son that we might have everlasting life so we might have shalom with him. And so I want to make sure the foundation is clear. We talk about peace, and we talk about the Prince of Peace and the one who came to bring peace. He came to bring peace in our relationship with God. See, in America, I think in the Western culture, we want to jump to individual peace. I want peace. I want to be at peace. I want to have peace. But recognize it it begins, first of all, talking about the nations. He's going to rule, reign on David's throne forever. We're talking about peace among nations. And then he talks about our peace with God. And it's only until we have that that we can talk about peace with other people and peace within ourselves. So if we're going to be like our father, who is a God of peace, and be like his son who brought peace, then we're going to be at peace with other people. We're at peace with others. In fact, the scriptures command that, communicate that to us. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and what? Read that with me. Be at peace with each other. So if I am a follower of Christ, I'm looking at the word of God, Jesus speaks these words. He says, be at peace with each other. Then in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with some people. Live at peace with everyone but your in-laws. Live at peace with everyone but your kids. Live at peace with everyone but your spouse. Live at peace with everyone. I've looked for a loophole. It's not there. It doesn't exist. Live in peace with each other. And then finally, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue all these things, including peace. He's saying sometimes you have to pursue peace. You have to make sure peace exists. So let me just pause for a second. Let me pause for a second. We're to be at peace with one another, with all people. Who are you not at peace with? Taking notes on your phone, maybe with your pen. Got a name in mind. 
I've said this a hundred times. Don't write it down if they're sitting next to you. Okay? You're not going to have peace the rest of this sermon. I'm going to tell you that. Who are you not at peace with? A boss? Co-worker? A brother? A sister? A friend? A neighbor? Somebody said, Gary, if you'd have heard our conversation in the car coming TBC this morning, you know there's not a lot of peace in our family. Screaming at my kids to shut up. Screaming at my husband to get ready and get move on. There's not a lot of peace. Gary, if you could have followed me around this week at work, there's not a lot of peace. I, I put it this way in my notes. Fill in the blank. When blank walks up, who is it that makes your heart race, your palms sweat, and you wish you or they would walk away? Who is that person? When I have to see blank or interact with blank or listen to blank, it's like fingernails scratching on a chalkboard. You got anybody like that in your life? My hand is up. Anybody else? I'm the only one in here with a person like that in my life. I mean, I mean, who is it that just drives you nuts or somebody you avoid or you come third service because you know they come second service? You don't think that happens? <laughs> who are you not at peace with? We've just looked at all these scriptures and said, when you have peace with God and you're a Christ follower, he is a God of peace who sent us a Messiah of peace, then I am to have peace with all people. Pretty interesting. Who are you not at peace with? What about peace in circumstances? In circumstances. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. He says, I, I'm, I'm going to give you peace in the world you live in, even when troubles come your way. Even when you pray to get pregnant, it doesn't happen, or you pray not to get pregnant, it does happen. Even when you're single and want to be married, or you're married wanting to be single, I can give you peace in the midst of that. Even when that battle comes and when that disease comes or whatever it is and you're in turmoil on the inside, I'll give you peace. In fact, he goes on and he says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He says, in the trials and tribulations of this world, in the circumstances of life, no matter how difficult they become, you can have peace. Peace is elusive sometimes. You saw me the first three months after I was about four months after diagnosed with this disease, there was no peace. I mean, I was a picture child for a Jeremiah where there's peace, peace, but there is no peace. But God in his grace takes you through that. You stay upon him, you feast upon him, you focus upon him, and he brings you peace. In fact, it says, may the God of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every circumstance, it says in one translation. You can have peace at all times in anything. Some of you have gone through really difficult times. You've got trials in your life you never dreamed you would have. Do you have peace? Because he says, even in those trials, being that single mom that you never wanted to be, raising those kids all by yourself, the toughest job in the world, do you have peace? Your job is hanging on a thread. There's more month than there is money. You don't know if it's going to be there next month, next week, or tomorrow. Do you have peace? See, peace tends to be elusive for us. That's why Lennon writes this song. Imagine it becomes a hit that sells millions and millions of copies because we want peace, but we don't know where to find peace, and so we dream about peace. So where do you get it? Look at what Isaiah says. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Where do you find peace? You find peace in a Savior. You find peace in keeping your mind fixed upon him. 
You find peace by saturating your heart with him. You find peace by worshiping him in your times alone with him. You find peace in his word. You find peace as you drop on him. You find peace as you look at him. I had a CAT scan this week, and uh, one of the things that happens when I have these CAT scans every six months, you, they put you in a room by yourself, they get an IV started, they give you some fluids to drink that can light me up, I think, for the next six months. As I go to bed at night, I glow in the dark. But I'm grateful they do that because they're looking for metastasis disease. Well, I've got about an hour in a room by myself in that whole process, and so I've started the last few times just posting on Facebook thoughts that have gone through my mind. And, and by God's grace, I can look you in eyeball to eyeball, singular eyeball eyeball. <laughs> and I, I can tell you that this week there was peace. I can tell you that there wasn't peace when this first happened. But I can tell you over the months and years now, peace has come. It wasn't there, but it's there now. Part of it's because you pray for me every day. Part of it's because we have humbled ourselves before God, allowed ourselves to be placed on the litter, and you're carrying us. And part of it's because our mind is fixed on this. Now, I am, I am not a super saint. If you were here, or if you weren't here, be glad you weren't here three and a half years ago. I was a basket case. But peace has come. For some of you still in the elusive stage, there's no peace. You're in a relationship. Is this going to be marriage, not marriage? You don't have peace. For some of you, I mean, you're, I don't know what the struggle is, but there's no peace. We find peace with him, then we find peace with others, and eventually we do find internal peace. And that becomes, according to Colossians 3, when we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. What's it mean when something rules? It means it reigns in us. We fix our eyes on him. We allow it to control us. That's what it means. When something rules over you, it controls you. And so we allow the peace of Christ to rule over us. And then what we read in Philippians, probably one of the best-known passages in the New Testament on peace, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I like that translation in King James. The peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says in in verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard of me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace. So when we look at shalom, everything being as they ought to be, what we recognize is that we may struggle, but we can find peace in him. Some of you can relate to the lady that wrote this. You stare into the darkness, your husband slumbers or wife slumbers next to you, the ceiling fan whirls above you, 15 minutes your alarm's gonna go off and the demands of the day will shoot you like a cannon or shoot you like a clown out of a cannon to three-winged circus of meetings and bosses and kids' practices. And this time of year, Christmas stuff. So, so you're wrapped up in all that stuff. For the millionth time, you'll make breakfast, schedules, payroll, but for the life of you, You can't make sense of this thing called life. You can't make sense of its beginnings or endings, cradles or cancer, cemeteries or questions. The why of it all keeps you awake. And as your husband sleeps in bed next to you, the world waits and you stare. Because there's no peace. There's no peace. Shalom. Making all things right as they ought to be. So we have harmony. And my friends, that's not going to be found at a negotiating table, but it's going to be found in a Middle East stable. It's found in our Messiah. It's found in Jesus. And when you find it in him, 
you recognize there's true peace. So if your innards are wobbling and there's no peace, shalom, he makes all things right as they ought to be in this relationship. And one day, everything will be right as it should be. He makes perfect, he brings perfect peace to him whose mind is stayed on him. I like teriyaki chicken. You know, I like teriyaki chicken. When Beth makes teriyaki chicken, she marinates it overnight. So she gets this little plastic thing we have in our house and she puts teriyaki sauce and soy sauce and all these powders and some kind of secret sauce that I can't tell you about and some pineapple stuff. And, and so she lets it soak in overnight. She sticks it in the refrigerator. And the next day I come home from work and I have the privilege to do all the work. I put it on the barbecue pit and take it off. It's amazing how guys think they do everything. All we do is light a match, stick it on, pull it off. But we say we've done it all, right? And the women say, amen. <laughs> we get all the credit. You do all the work. That works. I'm sorry about that. But I love that teriyaki chicken. One of the reasons I love that teriyaki chicken is no matter where you take a bite on that chicken, it's tasty, it's moist, and it's good. And it tastes like that teriyaki sauce. Because that teriyaki sauce over the night has marinated into that chicken. It's everywhere in that chicken. It's gone to every pore. If, I don't know if chickens have pores. It's gone into every part of that chicken breast that we're going to stick on the grill and eat that next day. It's everywhere. And you can't take a bite and be separated from it. Getting hungry yet? We have shalom when every part of our being is marinated by God when we are stayed in perfect peace, when I'm marinated by the word of God, marinated by the presence of God, marinated by my worship with God, marinated in prayer with God, marinated through the community of believers that remind me of God. And then, and then I have shalom. Things are as they ought to be. And he's in the process of doing it among nations, and doing in cultures, and the opposite in your life. So we can have shalom. Father, bring us peace. Bring us peace, shalom, through the Savior first and foremost, eternal peace. If you're here today and don't know if you have that, you'll never have internal peace or peace with others until you find eternal peace with the living God. That verse is so clear. Through his blood we have peace. And after you've experienced his peace, then you can have peace with all people at all times in every circumstance, regardless of what it is. So Father, we beg you for peace, for shalom. In Christ's name, amen.